0: The impression I get from your descriptions of like your colleagues and what what they've been wearing is that it's expensive (laughs) to work in matrimonial finance at the high level that you do.
1: Yeah, everyone looks amazing.
0: This is You'll Be Hearing From My Lawyer, a conversation series about women's experiences of making a life at the English bar. It's an opportunity for us to speak openly and honestly about the things that we, as women and barristers, have experienced quite a bit, think about quite a lot, and need to speak about more openly. I'm Jessica Vandermeer. And for my first conversation, I've had the pleasure of speaking with Fitzrene Headley, matrimonial finance barrister at Queen Elizabeth Buildings, amateur ballerine on Thursday nights, and governess of her former secondary school in South London. In this episode, Fitzreen and I discuss the gendered art of dressing for court, microaggressions and racism and discrimination at the bar. I asked you about dressing for court because one of the things that I find myself or one of the areas and there are many, but one of the areas that I find myself dealing with is the fact that I well firstly, that when friends hear that I'm a barrister, they assume that I always wear the wig and gown, which is definitely not true. And and you with your work in matrimonial finance and the family division, you fall into the same camp where we actually usually do our work in, in business suits. And for me, at least, it brings a whole different layer of implied internalized behavior that I'm I'm still kind of unpacking which for me and this is a conversation I've had with other female members in my chambers at least in the civil division like county courts we still seem to have a bias against pantsuits for instance so like it will be rare that I will not wear a skirt suit particularly if I know that I'm going to be appearing in front of a more senior slash Elderly judge, regardless of if they're male or female. And I have been told more or less that is what a woman is supposed to wear in order to look professional. We've had discussions about hair, for instance. I remember being on the Grays Inn New Practitioners course, appearing in front of a, we were doing it at the Old Bailey. And I had tight, I know, amazing, right? My my, my only appearance in the criminal division. And I had my hair tied back for, and I have frizzy red hair, but I had my hair tied back for when I was making my submissions, and I had it down when I was getting feedback. And the female judge, who was a high court criminal judge, she said something along the lines of, you look so much more professional with your hair tied back. I'm surprised you have it loose now. So. Yeah, I carry that with me. So skirt, suit, hair tied back, looking as conservative as possible, which also means like lip color, neutral, nail color, neutral. And I remember you telling me that in the family division, the experience is quite different.
1: Yeah, I mean, I did think of you yesterday as I went to get my nails done. And I was pondering the three colors that I have, which is mid nude, light nude and red. And I, thought, I hope you went
0: red. Hmm. Uh, I went for, no. <laughs> I did not. I
1: went for light nude. <laughs> but I thought about you, as I was looking, I was like, oh, what would Jessica say? Yeah. I would wear red court. I know you said you wouldn't. I absolutely would. I think we were saying the family division, particularly the sort of matrimonial finance division, everyone is super, super glamorous. But I think some people would say red isn't, isn't the colour you should wear. They'd go nude. But I would say a lot of people would be okay with me having red nails, hair, blow dried and groomed, not getting away with my afro in court at all. Not that I have a proper afro anyway. It's kind of just a curly mess half the time. <laughs> so I was thinking you actually on that because we've got our say, school picture day, our work day. And I was thinking about the fact that there's no way I'll have my natural hair in a picture on there. And um, bizarrely, and I think problematically, uh, this morning I was going to the gym and my PT said, oh my goodness, you caught the sun. And I had, I I, I did think yesterday, gosh, you look very glowy. But it's because you should be not be putting enough sun cream on. I'm properly several shades darker. I thought, I really hope those pictures are in black and white. I thought, how bad is that, that in my head, I was worrying about, I was thinking about flashback. I was thinking about the fact that my, I'd have to blend foundation down my neck, that I wouldn't be able to buy a dark foundation, that I was going to look darker and therefore i even more black than I already am. Frankly, I'm black, like I can't get more black. And that was a, a very much internalized thought, but it's one of those thoughts that scared me when I had it. And I felt really uncomfortable with myself thinking, what on earth? Like, I don't really care that I'm darker in the summer because it looks like I'm wearing makeup and I feel like I look more even toned. But I felt really like you should have thought about that before a picture's taken. It's ugly. It's really ugly.
0: Let's say you had to be in court tomorrow and you were out on Fleet Street. And now that you you say that your your complexion has, has gotten slightly darker, you might need to pick up some new foundation. Yeah, no, you're
1: not getting that. Yeah, I was, I funny, I was, I was thinking about this again today because I was in boots and boots sort of in Clapham doesn't have really any dark shades. You get slightly darker in super drugs, but you do not get dark shades on Fleet Street save for the most expensive foundations, which might stock your shade. And I do remember buying, a. I say buying, I didn't buy it. I went in to test the darker shade they had in a particular foundation. I adduced that it was probably one or two shades, too light, and therefore went on the internet and found that ASOS was stocking two shades down and bought it then. But that does mean that if I need to suddenly run to court last minute and put some foundation on my face, I can't. I've got to be stocked up before that. And you can't even do it in sort of Space NK. Can- I remember going Space and and common garden and i said can i get a test for this and she said no we don't stock it in your shade I was like, okay um you'll have you have to go to liberty or buy it online i thought you want me to just buy a foundation i've never tried and don't know the color match for online and then i've just what lost 36 quid if it's the wrong color because i can't return it yes Mm. I, i can't see why you don't think that's a problem although they have changed their policy now and won't have if the brand doesn't produce a tester range of the whole range, they won't have it. Or some kind of new way of looking at it, though I don't know if they've actually rolled that out. Maybe I'll go do some, some secret shopping over at Space and & K and see what they've actually managed to produce. It's slightly more inclusive. It dawned on me that like,
0: just like with Foundation, where on earth were you going to find the kaleidoscope of human skin color, flesh-colored pantyhose? Yeah around Fleet Street mm-hmm. if they don't even stock a whole range of darker shades of foundation for, you know, more melanated people.
1: Yeah. I mean, even if we think about it more broadly, if I'm very, very pale, I would have to buy, I suspect, my nude, and you know, my little bunny ears around like sort of quotation marks, nude color tights in a very light dernier so that they aren't so sort of tanning, um, so you would be able to get away with it. If I put on a pair of those tights, you would all think I was casket ready. It would look terrible. And actually, the, yes, casket ready. The only places that do anything like that are very expensive. They're folk, they're Wolford. There's a black lady who now does a brand, the name of which escapes me, that does nude colored tights for different shades. And I think also perhaps Kim Kardashian skims range does a range of different, because obviously even things like a nude bra, you know, people are like, oh, so you'd obviously wear a nude bra on your white shirt. Why would I do that? If <laughs> show up would wear a black bra. I mean, well, how does that not show up? Like, well, it, it sort of will, but it's better than a nude bra or a white bra. And also there are very few nude, as in black or brown skin tone nudes. Although actually things, places like h now do stock, Uh, A much wider range but tights is something that has not sort of cottoned on Uh, I think there used to be so many 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 years ago I'm just gonna offend everyone again my mother used to work in Mark Spencer in the Pantheon store which is the big one in Oxford Street um so she would probably be about 17 and a Pantheon indeed (laughs) the um She had a lady come up to her in a tight section and say, hello, darling, Um, where are the nigger brown tights? Sorry? And she was like, what? The nigger brown tights. And apparently, used to, either they were actually named that or everyone would know them as nigger brown. And they were just brown tights. And this lady would have been, you know, in her seventies, eighties, and this is back in the seventies or eighties. So she's, you know, probably long dead now. And her mum just described her, herself as being like, utterly taken aback, but at the same time, sort of like, oh, I guess that's what she calls it. I'll just point them out to her. But <laughs> that is so horrific for someone to come up to you and say that and just think it's perfectly normal to say that was the problem. But yes, apparently it would have had previously that as a color of tights, sadly. Marks and Sparks. Not clear if Marks and Sparks, before Marks and Sparks come and sue me, not clear if Marks and Sparks actually called them it themselves, but, a colloquial way of doing it. Um, but that was, <laughs> unfortunately, the way in which people referred to them and still were referring to them in the 70s and 80s. Bless her mum for not losing her cool. She was a bit, ve- I think she's probably very big on customer service. So you just find them, you get them for your day. But that's a story that stuck with me for quite a long time.
0: It leads me back to the comment that was made twice during conferences when you were a pupil about the wood stack. Yes. Or the wood pile, which is, Before our conversation, I I did a a, a wiki search on that statement because I was quite curious about its etymology because I only know it from the States, which is where it has a particular context. I think in relation to the Underground Railroad and hiding slaves or former slaves while you're transporting them to, to the North where they could be free. But again, no one hold me to this. But what I was shocked by were the, the amount of times that that statement still comes up and particularly in like the British, Australian and New Zealand context, even as late as 2010. And the excuse is exactly the same one that I guess we're kind of allocating to this woman that, that your mother served at Marks and Spencer's, which is at that time, this is the expression that would have been used. And that's the only one I know. But what's also really curious to me, and I'm thinking back to the conference itself, right? Because this would have happened ten years ago. Fine, but there are so many other phrases that that client could have chosen. Oh, yes. Like, for instance, like a wolf in sheep's clothing. Oh,
1: yes. There are gives tons of more, not even just more appropriate in the sense of inoffensive, but more appropriate as in more appropriate for the context statements that could have been used. Yeah, yeah, easily. yeah,
0: yeah. Do you find that there's, I mean, there there have been other instances that you and I have spoken about in passing about being in court or in particular court-related settings, right, like conferences with clients or negotiations or mediations or things like that, where, like, your being Black has changed the nature and the tone of the conversation?
1: I definitely find people are more careful. Some, Well, they're either just willy-nilly and now they've seen a black person need to think of all the racist words I've heard of in their life and say them all as much as much as they can in the next 20 minutes or they sound like they're treading on eggshells so I had a judge I can't remember what I was saying some I was just talking about how it, it was basically the same thing for one client as it was for the other client. And he said to my opponent, well, yes, exactly. Miss Hedley would say that's like call pot calling kettle black. And he said, oh, I sure should didn't say that. I thought, what? That's, I think those pots and kettles are actually black, like as in black as in the color, not, it's not a racial slur. Like the, there are lots of things that I think are probably racial slurs, but I wouldn't take offense to someone using that. So I think there's definitely that kind of, oh, just be careful in case she's really offended. It reminds me, and I'm going to set your topic, of all the sort of, we're going to change the Simpsons characters to people of colour. Why? That is not the point. <laughs> we really do not care that you're using a white person to, to voice Dr. Hibbert. We don't care. We're just distracting from the things that are actually important. We're not going to be offended by every single thing. There are very specific things that are offensive and they're very easy to note so don't run off and start making everything else an offensive problem because that's not helpful and that's what that makes you think of but I mean largely I'm getting much better I mean I saw some of the responses to the middle temple report and I, I couldn't finish reading it they were pretty horrendous some of the things that people said
0: what were the ones that caused you to stop
1: gosh there was just there was a lot of how people felt about being at qualifying sessions and saying, you're not going to be able to make it because of the colour of your skin. And the idea that someone actually got up and said that to someone is is so upsetting because you, you, they know nothing about them. They don't know whether they are hugely educated and, and the most brilliant advocate you've ever seen. They just saw their skin colour. And to go around and say that to someone as a member of an inn... Is incredibly offensive. There's a couple of the ones that I didn't see in there, but I know firsthand have happened. But I suspect I've got very good reason for knowing why they're not in there. But I know a, a colleague of mine was told, having finished a hearing, he was asked where he grew up, and he said, "Well, I'm in this country, I was at boarding school in this country." So, oh, where are you from? Said, well, I'm from here. But I'm Nigerian in origin, and the judge had said to him, oh, "Well, you speak very well for a black."
0: Oh. Um and this is quite recent I take it not like 70 years ago no
1: no 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 no. I mean these are colleagues who are our age so they are they haven't been in the bar for more than sort of 10 years and this is what we're still getting which is horrendous actually but it does happen actually I feel like some of my colleagues have had it worse than I have and no one should have it worse or better whatever else but I feel like they've had it sort of worse than that it's been really overt and I say worse Sometimes it's worse when it's really covert, and you don't quite know whether it's because of who you are, whether it's you being a woman or you being black. You just don't know. Whereas here, it's I'm telling you to your face. This is what I think about you and your skin colour, which is automatically more offensive. But at least you know what you're dealing with in some ways. So I don't know, but yeah, there's 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 a lot to there's a lot to unpack on your simple doubt in court when I should just be worrying about my client or my case. I don't want to have to also worry about whether I'm you know, going to be called the solicitor. I say the solicitor, so that's an insult, but I'm never going to be counsel. I'm always going to be a solicitor. I'm going to be like, actually, if I get called a solicitor, that's a good day. It's less common nowadays because I, I've been to these courts for years. And so I'm known now, but it used to be, oh, you're the social worker. Who's representing you today? And you think, why don't you just wait for me to tell you who I am? Wouldn't that be easier? Yes, it would be easier. Okay. Let's start with this. Counsel.
0: How do you introduce yourself when you sign in at court?
1: Uh, yeah, Fitzspring Headley Council.
0: All one word. Yeah. Or two, I guess. Just, it technically. may as well be
1: my, no, it may as well be just one word. One word, um, Fitzspring Headley Council. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm not bothering with the pause. We're we'll just counsel spread write it down. I'm going to sign in. I can carry the biggest blue book in the world and you're still gonna think I'm a social worker. So there's no point. I'm just gonna tell you, I'm gonna look you in the eye and I'm gonna dare you to think anything different. Write it down, council, because I've had too many of that. Usually not in London actually, usually out further out of London, where when you begin, and it's I think you'll know this as well, there are always in the sort of more regional courts, there's like a set of barristers who are always there and are really well known. So when you're starting out, no one knows you and they will start making their assumptions about who you are immediately. And it may be that they assume you are a client because they've never seen you before. But usually you're probably not going to be called the social worker or (laughs) if you are unfortunate enough, like I was to be in the Bailey, just learning about Bailey. Are you here to see one of your friends? What? (laughs) why would my friend be here? I don't have any barrister friends. Oh, you mean a defendant? You mean my defendant friend? I see.
0: No. So is this, <laughs> is this when you were doing, when you were investigating coming to the bar?
1: It was, yes. I went to the Bailey with my mum to sort of see oh what it was like. And I did, and funny enough, I actually that day saw a black barrister doing a summing up to a jury and he was incredible, and I don't even remember who he was, but I just remember thinking, "Oh wow, that's actually quite an interesting job." But to get through security with you know people saying, "Oh, so obviously, uh, which defense is your family friend?" I <laughs> think,
0: yeah. No. Who who are you supporting here?
1: <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, wow.
0: unbelievable. Cause Alexandra Wilson. So after our first conversation, I started rereading her book because it, it came up in our first conversation. And it, it, it reminds me of a, a section of the book where, where she echoes the same thing that on, um, as part of her, you know, monster preparation to try and, and make it to the bar, she attends the old Bailey repeatedly to just look at what is happening and also gets asked if she's, family of the defendant you know who she's with and I think this even persists when she's becomes a barrister if I'm, yeah, if I'm not does, mistaken yeah. you wrote a review of her book didn't you
1: I did yeah I mean I wrote it from a point of view that I don't think anyone's expecting it's obviously a very good book and it's a very very important book but my review is very yeah this is going to keep happening rather than being what it could have been, which the review saying, I'm utterly shocked and disgusted by what's happening here and we need to change it. My review was very, yes, been there, done that, entirely echo her sentiments. It's a real shame that you haven't noticed before, but if you think it's a one-off, it absolutely isn't. You need to work on it, which makes it a very deadpan review and it's much more about her sentiments than it is about the book itself, which I think is a, you know, if you're coming to the bar, I think is a must read. If you are of colour, of I don't know, a sort of oppressed group, it's important to see what it can be like. And if you are not, and you are more privileged and, and you're sort of cisgender and everything else, you, it's also important to see what you could be falling into the trap of doing. I think the only real group who whom it's not essential reading, I think it's reading for everyone, but essential reading is someone like her or me. Because this is just our life, this is how we live. Whereas I think a lot of my colleagues would be really saddened by what she writes about and really think, I hope this is a one-off, whereas I can sit there with some of my other colleagues and say, no, that's that's the reality of being at the bar. There are elements to it which are only experienced by certain people and are actually quite unpleasant, and they're things you have to carry with you while you're just trying to get your job done, which means you have to, even the kind of normal phrase of having to work twice as hard, the reality is I am working twice as hard because I'm having to deal with the prejudice as well as do my job. Whereas lots of my peers aren't doing that. They're just doing their job, um, which makes it easier on them in many ways.
0: Yeah, they don't have to constantly sift through the kind of... uh... I almost call it the um choose your outcomes adventure series in terms of yeah. how you respond to like the various microaggressions that you endure yeah. uh, through a day on this job, going to court or meeting clients or just existing. It, in is, this, it, is, in this it universe. is just
1: existing sometimes. It's why I think actually now I think about it, that comment from the lady in the bar really irked me because It's the idea that no matter what I, no matter how polite I am and how I can do literally nothing, I can still be called the rude person. Um, And there are some people who, and we've all had opponents who are utterly disgustingly rude, um, who just have nothing on their mind other than being as unpleasant as they can that day. Whether it's because, you know, and I tend to think, I've said this to you before, I don't know what went on this morning. I'm going to assume they had a bad morning and I'm not going to contribute to reputations for people. say, Oh, Oh, that person, they're always like this. Mm, okay. Maybe they had a really bad morning that morning, but let's not all have a reputation behind them and then start it's snowboarding. There's some people who deserve it, but let's not do that for everyone because I, I could have a reputation of being really angsty and feisty and rude from nowhere, but then it rolls on. And then now that's my reputation. I mean, it's not, but it could be just from being black and then going, oh yeah, no, she was quite rude. And oh yeah, did you find her rude? Oh, I found her a bit rude. And then it just snowballs. And so I'm very keen on not creating reputations for people. I take people at face value. If you want to be an ass today, be an ass. I'm not engaging with this. Because all that will happen is you'll just switch it and I'll become the rude person, even though you've been disgusting the whole day. We've got a job to do. We've got clients who are paying us. Gotten for a job. This is I
0: feel about it. Yeah. And w- one of the things that really stuck out for me when we spoke about two weeks ago was that effectively you felt, and you probably still feel, that the margin with which you have to play with for being considered aggressive, angry, effectively like asserting yourself in a way that our white male colleagues can do with with very little consequence that margin for you is is even smaller than it is for me as a foreign sounding redhead in an english jurisdiction which yeah like what's that experience like because it just it, in my experience like i have to think very carefully about the words that i choose because they have sometimes been used to make fun of me in closing submissions but like For me, the the issue is I'm memorable regardless of what I do because of the way I sound and because of the way I look. It's almost like it places an extra onus on me to be very careful about how I respond to whatever is thrown at me during court. And I can only imagine that that is doubled for you.
1: Oh yeah, it's a tiny margin of error you've got teeny tiny. I had someone recently say that I was misleading on a point that Achilles wasn't misleading on because I didn't have the documentation. And I said I'm actually very very frustrated that Mr. so-and so has suggested that I'm misleading the court because that isn't correct. This is a document that I got. this is what this says. I've asked for clarification of it and I got sort of stopped in the middle of it saying, oh, I'm sure he didn't mean it like that. Just take a breath. And I thought sorry, sorry, I don't, what do you mean by that? Is it, is it, I'm now an angry woman? Is it further than that? Is that? I'm an angry black woman? And he's, he can say whatever he wants of impunity. I don't, I don't understand here. I haven't shouted and screamed and stabbed my feet. I've just said, can I correct that submission? That isn't a fair submission for him to make. And already I'm feisty and I'm angry. and I'm obviously, you know, <laughs> creating all these storms and it's that kind of thing where you think even me just being really careful very polite you've still already gone back And I think the person actually realized this because they then said "So take a breath both of you take a breath and I thought oh you've you've caught yourself there actually which is actually you know at least you thought about it I don't think necessarily it was it didn't have to be race related I think it was just female getting upset I thought oh Mm, oh yeah, that's
0: that's something else to talk about as well. Wow, angry, angry female barristers all over the place. Yeah, it's still something that that every now and then. I don't know if you have this, but if it's been a particularly long day with like just a horrible cross examination, I'll I'll let it get the better of me for like a small period of time, and I will be so upset with myself because I'll be like. Damn it! you took the bait, Jess. Like, all you had to do all day long, in addition to everything else, including doing your job, was just don't take the bait,
1: and yet you did it. You let yourself slip. I think we, we can be so hard on ourselves, though. That, that is being really hard, but I know exactly the feeling. That sort of, you know, you were there, you were nearly there, so close to getting to the end of the day and not letting the mask slip and not getting, you know, anything not letting anything get to you and because you're human you just let it get to you at the end and you aren't given the sort of margin of error that those around you are it's almost as though someone's waiting for you to mess up so they can say ah oh, told you that's what they're all like you then get so angry at yourself for falling into their trap because you you tiptoed around their trap and you've done so well and then at the last minute you've slipped I assume it's not because either of us are angry people it's because we are humans and at one point or other we'll just say ah no that's come on like I think I had someone read me a transcript once of um of me doing a a cross examination, and the witness kept calling me dear and the judge did nothing about this and it was about an hour in (laughs) they said the transcript has me saying I'm gonna need you to stop calling me dear and the judge sort of pipes and says, yes, no, that's actually really inappropriate. You can't keep calling her dear. <laughs> An hour in. <laughs> An hour of me having been called dear. And I just, I just lost it by that. I said, no, 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 sorry. You don't get to do that at all. You have to respect people around you, regardless. And it was, it was it was deliberately patronizing. And there was nothing being done about it for so long. that so I said, no, actually, I can't. And uh, one of my colleagues picked up the case, it was his case actually. And he said, oh, I've got the transcripts. I've, I've read your cross examination. <laughs> I thought, oh, I wouldn't have had to do that though. If the judges had one point said, please stop doing that. That's really offensive. You're being very patronizing. But they didn't. So. Uh, <laughs> yeah, because either they weren't listening. Yeah. Or
0: because what they heard, they didn't find patronizing or they offensive. They did find it patronizing or offensive. I think it was just yeah. kind of,
1: oh, yeah, he's just, he's just, that's how he speaks it's not how he speaks he's doing it deliberately to wind me up and I'm not going to get wound up by it but I'm going to stop him from doing it because he is doing it to be patronizing but (laughs) you're right it's I think the judge was listening I think this uh, the judge I think in this case was actually very astute it just didn't even register that this was a really offensive way of responding to questions I say really offensive there are more offensive ways of responding to questions obviously but a deliberately offensive way of responding to questions throughout where this witness wasn't getting where they wanted to get to in their evidence
0: I think I think we could label it as a microaggression yeah that's true if it's an everyday slight indignity insult or put down yeah that you as a woman get in that context you are not a deer you are not for instance a customer in a taxi cab no
1: which you I wouldn't do a pr- to. if someone if exactly. I drive co- oh thanks yeah I'd be like yeah thank you
0: it's all about context. And in that context, you are cross-examining that person. You are in your professional capacity. You ain't no deer. You tell me what you make of this situation. Okay. I think I must've been in my second year. It was St. Albans County court. I remember the scene so well. I had a successful trial for my client who at the end of the trial. So, you know, we're back in the conference room in the court building, explaining the outcome, explaining what happens next. And he just says, "Good job, girl." I can hear you kind of exhaling there. What What are your thoughts about this statement, Fitzrene? Would he say that to a man? Exactly, right? No. But the worrying thing for me is, I remember being like frazzled, perturbed by this comment, but I couldn't exactly like identify why exactly it, it arrived in the way that it did. I remember having to call one of my colleagues who we've, we've called one of the wokest members of the bar. And I was like, this has just happened. Like, what, what do you think of that? And he said exactly what you said. He was like, that is just so inappropriate because no one would, like, if it was well done boy, not well done chap, well done boy. Boy. Yeah. it, It had a particular level of, Um, misogyny combined with like just complete lack of recognition of my professionalism in that context, like so undermining. One of the other things that that you said as well, which in our first interview was, and this is coming back to the, the never letting yourself get riled up or to take the bait, no matter how how much pressure is on you in the circumstances. Like your, your performance has to be either through your self-imposed standards or the standards and the standards imposed by society, like flawless. And one of the things that you said was the reason why is because you think about the next person, the next black person that comes after you in that particular courtroom. So Where where my performance is just for Jessica Vandermeer, um, your performance in a courtroom is basically for every other black barrister or solicitor advocate that 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 judge might see.
1: Yeah, it's a lot of weight to put on your shoulders, but it's a weight that I didn't think I chose to put there. The best way I can explain it is this. I I said this to a member of Chambers, actually, who was sort of saying, why do do you have these kind of ideas that it's all on your shoulders? And I said, it's kind of similar to lots of things. So if I, if I I said to him, if you saw, I don't know, a girl peeing in the street in broad daylight, what would you think? You'd just be like, oh, that's disgusting. And you'd go about your day. If I saw a black woman peeing in the street in the daylight, I'd think, well done, you're ruining it for us all. You're letting people think that black people are like that. This is really important. You don't act that badly. And that's not the way to think of it. It's just not. I should be able to detach myself from it. But it's the same as the, you know, woman versus black woman. That being a a particularly defining characteristic, which is then spread across the board and used to define the wider group. And so I feel like if I go into court and I don't know the law or I'm rubbish, that they think, well, I've only seen one or two black barristers in my time here in the last five or six years, and the only ones I've seen have been rubbish. So they must all be rubbish. And I can't have that as my legacy in this job because I just think it will make it harder for me and everyone who comes behind Mm me. And so I do need to be sort of always on my A game for more reasons than the sort of standard barrister reasons, which is, again, really quite sad. But it is how I felt. I really feel... As though, particularly in matrimonial finance, where there are, there are a few people who do it kind of more on the side, but but no other, in the, the top four matrimonial finance sets, there are no other black people. It's just me. So in that kind of um, big money work, usually the only black person kicking around is me. And so I've got a lot to show and a lot to keep on keep sort of straight and narrow than many other people would have, you know, my friends who are like, I might, they might be the only Jewish person there. They may not feel that same. I don't know. They may feel that way, but they may think actually I've got a couple of Jewish colleagues. And so I don't feel um, as though I'm having to stand up for all of us, but I don't have that to rely upon. I don't have anyone to sort of bounce experience off in a particular division. And so it does come down to me thinking, we just have to be always on your A game. Don't let anyone pull you off kilter or, or you're going to get to a point of, you know, ruining it for yourself and ruining it for everyone who comes after you.
0: That's an incredible burden.
1: Oh yeah. And it should be an unnecessary one, but I, I just don't think it is unnecessary. I think it is absolutely for now still quite a necessary thing. Yeah. Do you see that changing
0: in your career lifespan at the bar?
1: Probably not in my career lifespan. I don't think, I think it's so ingrained. I mean, if you think of, uh, I don't mean this in a derogatory way, but if you think of bar generally, I think people would say it was one of the sort of less forward thinking areas of any profession, actually.
0: Oh, it's probably one of the most conservative. And I've, yeah. I've, I've been reliably told that by people who've come to, for instance, like qualifying sessions.
1: Yeah. It's not the most diverse profession to be in. It's very traditional I mean, even if you think about what we wear, what we wear was modeled on men, it's not modeled on women. Yeah, particularly you know?
0: bald men. Yeah, bald yes. white men.
1: Yeah, you know, uh, who had enough shoulders to keep the blooming gown actually from dropping off your shoulders, <laughs> which I can never do. I think I have pretty good shoulders, but they still fall off. Um, you know, the fashion the wasn't built for women or people of colour. It just wasn't. And so it's going to do a lot of unlearning. And that's going to come with the generations that are not having to unlearn as much as the generations before them. We are still an unlearning generation, but I suspect the generations, maybe one or two below us, are not an unlearning generation. They're just a learning generation. And they won't have to think about their prejudices because there'll be fewer and far and um, further between. But I don't think that's going to be for another sort of 30, 40, 50 years when that generation is at the top before we actually get some real change, unfortunately.
0: Thank you so much to Fitzreen for sharing her time and her stories. And thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode of You'll Be Hearing From My Lawyer, then please share it with your friends, colleagues, and anyone you think might be interested. And if you haven't already, please listen to the other episodes in this series. This podcast was created and produced by me, Jessica Vandermeer, and Naomi Khan with help from Jessica Brown Swinburne. And this podcast was made possible by the Honorable Society of Grayson. We'd like to give a massive thank you to the head of education, Tony Charles. Thank you so much for your support.